Hello, all. Welcome to the Kindred Spirits Enneagram podcast. My name is Chris Hayden. I'm the pastor of Kindred UMC. This week, we have a very special guest, Terry Helwig, author and poet. She's written uh, Moonlight on Linoleum and her latest book, Shifting Shorelines, uh, Messages from a Wiser Self, uh, releases in October and is available for pre-order on her site, terryhelwig.com. There is a link in the description. Please swing by her website and pick up some of her work. As always, like, rate, review, share, subscribe helps. Uh, you can email us at kindredumc at gmail.com. And with no further ado, away we go. Ah, there's our good friend Craigbot. He records the podcast. Okay. Uh, and then I'm also going to start a little backup. OBS. Okie doke. Uh, do you mind if we just jump right into it? No. That's kind of um, how I, I prefer to do things. So that we, okay. record, we record all the get to know you bits. Okay. <laughs> so Terry Helwig, right? Am I pronouncing it correctly? You are. Welcome. Correct. So glad to have you. Uh, the author and uh, poet, and uh, there will be a link to uh, purchase her writings down below in the description. Uh, welcome. We're so glad to have you. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here and glad to meet the two of you. Is there anything else you would add to the description that you would like people to know about before we kind of get talking? Um, well, this is the second book that I've written and um, had a master's in psychology. So I used to do a lot of work with women and in their um, psychological and spiritual development. So that was that that's was my very other, interesting. That was my <laughs> other path that I was considering when I was oh. I, I did my BA in psychology. And okay, I, I considered doing counseling, but I'm too much of a ham. I need too much attention. I couldn't. The idea of doing all of my work in a one-on-one -on -one interview style was uh, a bit too much for me to. So I, I went the pastor route. Okay. All right. Well, and I mainly worked with groups of women. Uh, I mean, did some individual, but it was. Uh, I, I'm the oldest of six uh, sisters, so I'm used to groups of women and felt really comfortable there. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> If this pastor thing doesn't work out, maybe I'll maybe I'll go back to school and become a group therapist. <laughs> a lot a lot of our disciple work in our disciple groups is is certainly reminiscent of group therapy. Absolutely. I studied also to be a Stephen minister back oh, yeah. in Yeah. So I did that for a number of years when I lived in Denver, Colorado. Oh, I, I love Denver. I, Denver's so beautiful. Oh, I love Denver too. I've lived in so many different states, and every one of them has their beauty, but, you know, Denver holds a special spot, too. I've grown up in Florida now, and so every time I go and visit nearly anywhere else, I'm always like, it's so much like, well, I mean, you know, grass is always greener, but I'm always like, it's so much prettier here. <laughs> uh, I don't think I could take the cold. Oh, well, I, don't, I don't think I could bear a winter where you actually get snowed in. No, I lived in upstate New York for 13 years. And that was, I love, you know, New York is beautiful, has things in the summer, but very long winters. Yeah, oh, my wife is a Kansas girl. So she has all kinds of stories about, yeah, yeah sometimes you just don't go outside for a week. Although I guess we're all used to that now. Rip, rip on that. 
<clears throat> well, um, uh, Courtney tells me that rather than kind of doing an interview, uh, that we're going to actually discuss your Enneagram type. But I also understand you have some experience with the Enneagram, right? I have a little bit of experience. I was trained in Myers-Briggs. And oh, so, oh, yeah. yeah. That's person, cool. Well, and that, I did have some questions. Um, like I took your pretest of, and it said, do you want me just to jump right in? <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Well, I normally I do a have whole... some, some questions for you about Myers-Briggs stuff so we can trade some knowledge. Okay. I mean, All normally right. I do a whole suspenseful buildup, but I guess we could well, just... No, go ahead and do a suspenseful buildup because I've come up with two and I need to know the difference between... Oh, See, I, oh, I love it. You've come to the right place. Okay. I had a girlfriend who was really into it. And so she said, and what, you know, she determined as I was one. And then when I took the little test that Courtney sent, it said I was another one. So I'm, I'm not saying... Um, one is a numeral one. I'm just saying I was a number. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> well, my normal preamble yeah. is uh, my normal preamble is uh, Terry. Have you had the opportunity to take the Enneagram test? Um, the short one that Courtney sent. Yes. And are you prepared to reveal to the world <laughs> your results? Yes, I am. Would you please share with the group? Your Enneagram type, as okay. best you can tell. As best I can tell. Well, my uh, girlfriend, who was very much into this back in Denver, said that I was a nine. Okay. And Courtney, the test that she sent, it said I was a two. Now, okay. That makes sense how you would get. I could, there's definitely overlap in both of those numbers. Okay. Well, and one thing I was telling my girlfriend when she was going through, I, I was going like, oh, I sound, no, I think I'm a one. No, I must be a two all the way up to the nine. And she goes, nines think they're everything. So <laughs> yeah, nines and sixes both have a tendency to think they're every number. Um, twos as well, because that's, the, people actually joke that that's the indecisive triad. Um, so that's the triad of numbers that have a hard time making decisions. Um, okay. I struggled for a little bit. I'm a type two. Um, and so I struggled for a little bit accepting the fact that I was a type two because the circles that I was in and around always kind of glorified twos as this ideal number. Um, mm -hmm. or, um, Particular, are often, particularly church wives. Mm -hmm. Twos like, are often described twos. as like the helpers. <laughs> so they're the people that like will do the dishes or like volunteer to help. That's how it stereotypically gets described. And that's not me at all. Like I'm not a behind the scenes practical helper, but I am very relationship oriented. I'm a helper in that I feel it is my job to get people connected um, and help mm -hmm. them feel included in a part of the circle. That's how I feel loved and needed and accepted. And so in that sense of the word, that's when I was finally like, okay, maybe I am a two, but reading everything you read online, mm -mm, not so much. Um, well, that's what, uh, there's a couple of questions I had. I wondered about how um, Myers-Briggs types correspond to, um, you know, the Enneagram. And then also I wondered for writers, is there a certain type or number that writers are? Because in the Myers-Briggs, there is a little bit more towards mm. the types. So I, I can, know. 
I think I can speak to some significant differences between the Myers-Briggs and the Enneagram. Going off of my bachelor's in psychology (laughs) um, (laughs) that I did several years ago. Um, So most personality types that are based in psychology and research uh, tend to have like trait, trait personality. You know, this is a term that's used. And so it tends to be uh, uh, two poles on a spectrum and then several poles and and it's it's what what traits make up everybody's personality that tends to be kind of how most psychological and certainly how myers-briggs is um enneagram is a very different i mean first of all there's not nearly as much um scientific research on it this is more of a traditional spiritual take on things although mm-hmm. there are people who are certainly out there researching it and and you know attempting to fill in some of those gaps um the the main difference is that enneagram starts in a place of what primarily motivates you to seek to feel love to feel full to feel yourself what are the and then from there then it goes into behaviors and it's rooted in the in the idea that as all of us are coming up as children, uh, some something bad happens at some point. None of us make it out of childhood completely perfect, you know. And whatever coping mechanism we decide on, and whatever whatever works for us in childhood, has a tendency to follow most of us into adulthood, and that significantly shapes the type as far as Enneagram is concerned, that you are. So almost all the types, you can root it back into some form of childhood, either trauma or mishap or, you know, whatever. Um, and then the coping mechanism that you decide, it kind of ends up deciding what primarily motivates us throughout the rest of our lives. Yeah, that, I think that's a really good way of explaining the differences. We, Chris and I have actually done a few podcasts discussing whether Enneagram is motivation-based or personality-based and the differences between the two. And the term that we've like kind of jokingly come up with is that it's a motivation-based personality assessment. Um, okay. So it's both, but with Myers-Briggs, you're just looking at those facets of personality, whereas Enneagram is all about why you do what you do And the thing that gets less often talked about, but I think is equally as important and honestly, more often than not more helpful in figuring out what type you actually are, is your core fear as well. So it's not just the thing that like motivates you to do the things you want to do, but it's also what is it that you're scared of? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, So what we can do is we can go through two and nine. Um, I can talk about both of them a little bit and then we can kind of, you know, go from there. So, um, I'm going to start with just motivation stuff since that's, we're kind of stuck between two places. Um, Mm -hmm. so I will go ahead and get that information up. So I'll start with type two because that's what I am. So I'm the most familiar with type two. Um, so type two's core motivation is to be wanted and needed. Um, it's often described as also wanting to be loved, appreciated is another word that's descriptive of that core motivation. Um, and so for fear of a type two is of being rejected or unworthy of love. Um, twos truly believe in their core that it is their job to love other people 
And so they want to do everything that they can to help others, because if they love and care for others, then they get that love that they so think they deserve, but are terrified of being told they're unworthy or not enough. There was a poll done recently on someone's Instagram. Let me, I want to reference this because I thought it was really interesting. Um, On the tuition, I know Instagram, it said... 78% of twos have been told a version of you have to be less or have less needs if you want a lasting partner, a lasting relationship, Um, which is something that as a type two particularly resonates with me because one of my big things is feeling like I'm too much or I have too many needs or I'm exerting myself too much. Um, You've literally been told that it was. Yes. Multiple times. It's a journey. It's a journey. Um, And then type nine, um, that is the peacemaker. So both type twos and type nines have a hard time expressing needs, but it's for very different reasons. So type nines, actually, their big thing is that they are scared of conflict. They are very conflict averse. And so their core motivation is having peace of mind. So they don't want anything to disturb the peace. They um, often are described as middle children. Um, You'll typically see like a middle child be a type nine. Um, Because they're the peacekeeper, they play that role in their family. And it's not because they're concerned about, you know, needing to meet the needs of other people to gain and receive love so much as it is about, I need to keep the peace because if I can't keep the peace, then conflict and tension leads to loss and connection. I can already tell you where I, <laughs> it's uh, nine. Um, I, you know, my first book is a memoir, coming of age memoir, Moonlight on Linoleum. It's all about our dysfunctional childhood. My mom being married six times and divorced and moving all over the country and the you know brawls sometimes that she had with some of her spouses and it was always trying to keep the peace and avoid Mm -hmm. conflict you know keep i'm the oldest of all the girls and it was trying to keep all of them safe so it was always i mean i i resonated a lot with what you said with um two you know of uh wanting to help and love and stuff like that but it is hands down keeping the peace (laughs) and not liking conflict so much it's interesting because like like it's interesting because you know they're so similar like both types both of those types and type six all three of those are in what's called the compliance stance um so within the enneagram you have different stances um based just based on like your conflict style and two sixes and nines are very like i'll go with the flow i'll be there for other people this is where your personality traits kind of come in line with the enneagram so you're gonna have some similarities in that indecisiveness in that um wanting to kind of i'll do whatever is gonna make everybody happy but it's this is why we say the enneagram is motivation based because A two might also say, sure, I'll do whatever makes everybody happy, but it comes from a place of, because I can't have needs, if I have needs, um, then I'm rejected and I'm not good enough and I'm not lovable. 
Whereas for a nine, it's I'm not going to voice my needs because I'm terrified that my voice doesn't matter. And I don't want to be disconnected for having a different opinion or for saying the wrong thing. I think it's interesting that you've immediately, tr- like probably because you've done a lot of work on this, but uh, immediately traced it to, yep, I know where that comes from in childhood. <laughs> <laughs> like you described yeah. perfectly the idea of chi- early childhood conflict. How do I survive this? How do I manage this? How do I cope with it? And then that has a pretty significant effect on who we become as adults. Exactly. Yeah. I, I, obviously, I think I even went into psychology to try to understand some of the family dynamics and, you know, what was going on, what was going on with my mom. And uh, as a result, you know, where did I want to be a chain breaker and, and, you know, how, how I operate in the world too. Um, and for an, if I am a nine, you know, which I feel like what I'm resonating with, it's, it's hard right now to be in the society in the world. I mean, I think it's hard for everybody, but it's really hard for, um, you know, keeping the peace right now. It's really hard. Mm. In writing this book, my second one that I've written, um, Shifting Shoreline's Messages from a Wiser Self, it's about hope and it's about um, trying to bring grace and civility into the world. I mean, that's my bottom line motivation. But there is worry in me. I'm Quixote. (laughs) on a mission to civilize (laughs) well it is it's like that but then on the other side of what you're talking about in the nine the um what is it that i most fear and i i most fear that people are gonna you know when you're trying to bring this side together and this side together and you feel a little bit like a bridge you can anger both sides Mm. so instead of you know being my message being rejected or thinking that it's this or that. So I, I do have that, that uh, what do you call that? Like this insecurity as the book goes out into the world. But I'm writing in here in my office, it's all safe and I just get everything done. And then when it's time to come out, like in a month, I start going, oh my goodness, what are people going to think? Oh, what are, you know, what if they disagree with that? Or what if they... <laughs> I love the way that you described that bridge metaphor. I just thought that was so beautiful. Like that's such an interesting way of describing it. Um, And I think it ties back to, and I say this as a statement, I mean it as a question. Um, A lot of type nines have this innate feeling and it's, it's often very subconscious. It's not necessarily something that's consciously brought to the surface or thought about um, that. Oh, well, I'm just not going to speak up in this moment because somebody else might have something more valuable or of more importance to say. Um, And so they'll often self-minimize, not because they like think negatively of themselves, but because nines are truly like, type nines are often described as very, very, very empathetic. They're very good listeners. They're very good at hearing all sides of a situation. One of my best friends is a type nine. Um, She was on our podcast previously. Her name's Nicole. And um, Nicole's the kind of person that if I'm going to lay it all out there for somebody, that's who I'm going to bring it to because I know that even if I feel that I'm right in my position, Nicole will kind of call me out very lovingly 
on the areas where maybe I'm not so right. And well, have you thought about this? And have you thought about that? And how do you think the other person feels? And so nines are very good at kind of seeing all sides of the story, but they also often self-minimize because they care very deeply about what everyone else in the room has to say. Yeah, I, I can really resonate with that. I can resonate with that. When I was uh, writing uh, my memoir, um, I, my friend is Sue Mutt Kidd, and she's an author, and she writes fiction. And I said, um, you know, I was telling her my story, and she said, you should really, you know, you should write that story. And I went, yeah, but does the world need, you know, does the world need another story? Does it need another memoir? Does it need another book? And she's going, yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> but that was this kind of like, and I guess there isn't only one memoir out there or something, but it was kind of the thought of, well, I don't know if I would bring anything new to the table or something. Mm. So. Um, you, you mentioned earlier the idea of, uh, you know, a, a certain type lending itself to writing. And I don't I don't know the answer to that. But as I listen to you in particular, um, it occurs to me that maybe writing was a good way to get your voice out there without mm. the risk of receiving immediate social. I kind of got goosebumps with that observation. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, that's, yeah, that's a good sign. <laughs> yeah, that's a good sign. Uh, well, and then it explains to me. Like I said, I sit, this is my office here, and I sit in here and I really kind of pour my soul onto paper. And it seems so odd that I, I say all of this and it's like I'm removed that the fact it's really going to go out and people are going to read it and they're going to know what I'm thinking. But it's so easy for me to say it here. And then when it gets hard, it's like I said, when I know it's coming out, it's like, ooh, what did I do? <laughs> but yeah, it, I, uh, say it here yeah i i have kind of the opposite uh the inverse relation so uh <laughs> i almost always want immediate social feedback um so i'm a i'm a type one and uh for lack of a better phrase i'm really concerned with doing it well doing it right doing it correctly if we're going to do something i want it to be done the best possible way it can be done okay and i'm i'm uh, what's called a sexual subtype or a, like a what an intimate subtype one-on-one. -on -one. Uh -huh. And so one of the ways that I really measure, and this is all like relatively new insight for me because we're, we're having some other authors. So I've been reading up a lot and, you know, trying to really understand all this stuff for myself. Um, I discovered that one of the ways that I measure whether or not I'm doing it well is by checking in with the person right in front of me. And so I'm constantly measuring how am I doing this right based on the reaction of the person in front of me. Mm. And, Interesting. And, and as a result, and my, my mother is an English or was an English teacher. She's retired now. Um, my mother was an English teacher. Uh, I've always been taught, you know, grammar and proper English and, and I'm obsessed with story structure and, you know, all, all of the things that go into the son of an English teacher. Uh, <laughs> and I hate reading and writing. Isn't that interesting? Part what of about, it's, part what of it's about because I'm slightly or? dyslexic. Okay. And so when I read, I literally, I, I'm this close to making my lips move when I read. 
because I have to say all the words in my head. Yeah. I have to hear them in my head basically to, to, to like absorb them. And mm-hmm. so I can't read very fast, which is very frustrating for somebody who had to get a master's degree to do what I wanted to do. But okay. I navigated it. I made it through. Um, but the other part of it is because when I'm reading and writing, I can't, there's no feedback. I can't check in with the person in front of me. Uh, if I'm writing out my, you know, for ordination, I have to write out basically a, a, a thesis. It's, you know, it's like 80 pages worth of material that you have to, they're all researched and you have to cite your sources and then you have to add something of yourself into it and all this stuff. And that's some of the most difficult stuff for me because what I'd really rather do is sit down with a group of people and just tell you what I think. Uh, and then have you tell me what I, what you think, you know? It's like you're a, a storyteller instead of the, the writer, the orator, you know? <laughs> I'm slightly obsessed with the story structure and storytelling. And that's, yeah. yeah, that's it. It's fun. It's fun to be this way, but it certainly has its drawbacks in anything academic. Everything <laughs> academic seems to be uh, the written word. Uh, I guess that's true. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I'm kind of somewhere in the middle. Like I, so as a two, I'm terrified of feedback and criticism. I don't enjoy it. It's not fun for me. Um, I have to really trust a person to take that feedback well. Well, let me rephrase that. I have to really trust the person to not take that feedback personally. I'm very good at taking feedback, but after receiving the feedback, I'll beat myself up for it and think that it's my fault and constantly question whether that person is mad at me unless I feel very, very, very secure in my relationship. Um, And so I kind of like, I'm not really like a, a writer or anything like that. I'm definitely more of a like, verbal processor but i also often find myself not really looking for feedback unless i've specifically gone to somebody and been like hey like can we talk this out so that you can offer me genuine honest feedback i'm more of i just need people to listen um so i'm kind of somewhere in the middle like i will talk your ear off if you let me but what i really need is to feel supported and listened to Mm. that's interesting well and i'm um more of an introverted person, which that would make sense for me, you know, being in my office and enjoying that. And it's a little, I can extrovert, I think, just fine, but it costs me more energy to do that than to, and I receive my energy. If I need to refuel my pump, I need to kind of go off by myself and take the walk or, mm. get, or something like that. Yeah. How did you do with quarantine as an introvert? Uh, I did beautifully. I think COVID was meant for introverts, you know, but I, my editor said, I've never gotten a book manuscript early. And I said, well, that's thanks to quarantine and COVID. (laughs) So I just stayed in here and wrote, and then I love to be in nature and I'm in Florida as well. I'm in Marco Island, Florida. And so, um, you know, I was able to get out and walk the beach and bike, and it it did not impact hugely my uh, life. I, I love to travel, too, so I wasn't able to do that. But um, that's how I, I spent it, mainly, was just writing. Yeah, my wife is more introverted than, than I am, and um, mm-hmm. I'm 
highly extroverted and mm. I uh, was losing my damn mind. So many people were. <laughs> Again, I feel like I'm somewhere kind of in the middle. I wasn't losing my, I'm very extroverted. Well, I don't know. I go back and forth on whether I'm introverted or extroverted. I don't really think I'm introverted, but I definitely have found lately that I need to be better about recharging my own battery. Um, but my, I think you're extroverted because I, I, I have a strong sense that you're extroverted and that it's more your type two Mm, yeah need, need to serve everyone that is more interfering with charging your batteries yeah that makes sense um but for me during quarantine my solution was uh we adopted a dog and oh. uh i then met a bunch of people that also happened to adopt quarantine dogs and would organize uh dog play dates <laughs> that's cute <laughs> Well, uh, because I do travel, I don't have a pet because um, I don't like to leave them. I love cats, but I did get a house plant that kind of became right over there. You know, I'm <laughs> I was just talking to it the other day. You helped me get through COVID. That's really. Does it have a name? I haven't named it, but I should. But I, I talk to it. I do. I do like it. It seems to be. I uh, hear it's better for them. <laughs> yeah. Well, it that did give me something to tend to during COVID, which was kind of sweet. What do you say we talk about um, either wings or subtypes? Yeah, sure. We can definitely get into that. Um, so wings, basically, um, that's a personality aspect of the Enneagram. So you can take on um, personality traits of one or both or neither. Um, so for type nine, that would either be a nine wing one or a nine wing eight. So a nine wing eight is going to take on personality traits of the challenger. Um, so they might be more assertive, more justice oriented, more um, like life of the party kind of is a good way of describing it. Eights are very like intense and passionate. They might take on some of those personality traits. Um, whereas a nine wing one might be more like, um, task oriented, a little more introverted. Typically they're much more black and white thinkers than a nine wing eight might be, um, very like filled with integrity, concerned about integrity of themselves and those around them. Um, the the so one you, is called the the moral perfectionist. The moral perfectionist. Sorry, which I, I didn't don't like. Say that. I don't like that title at all. I do not identify with it. And what's the eight? What's the title of the eight? The eight's the challenger. Oh, the challenger. Huh. If I is had to any? guess, okay, go ahead. I'd like to know your guess. And it's it's not really a you know uh uh it's it's a bit frowned upon to type others, but. You know, what are you going to do? This is all for fun anyway. Um, I would guess you were a nine wing one. Yeah, that, that would be what I would guess too. More controlled, quiet, idealistic, imaginative, easygoing. Whereas at nine wing eight, it's going to be more assertive, grounded, active, social, um, intense. Yeah, eight, eight, uh, nine wing eight will enforce the piece a little bit. Oh, Okay. Then I think, yes, I agree with your assessment of one. And if I were going to be anything uh, on the activist level, I, I would do it behind this pen right here. 
Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Are you are you more likely to take to the streets or write a strong word your congressman? You know? Yeah. 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 I, I actually have a sentence in my book. It ends one chapter. It says, dear senator. Right. <laughs> so, <No. laughs> uh, so what got you into writing, Terry? I'm curious to hear a little bit of that story. Um, what got me into it? Is that what you said? Yeah. My mom, um, you know, I didn't have an opportunity to relate to my mom on a lot of levels. She was only 15 years older than I was. And so she was kind of a child having a child growing up. But one thing that she did was write poetry. And I uh, found, and she just wrote them in little spiral notebooks. She never got anything published. But um, when I found, came across that and she let me read it, it was, um, I don't know, it just touched me so deeply when I was younger. And it, it was like a it lit a spark in me that wanted to, to be able to use words and to be able to write something beautiful and meaningful that could touch somebody like that. And so I, I think I was always interested in writing. I did start out, I wrote poetry as a young girl and um, even into my teens. And then I went more to uh, just writing articles. I don't know if you're familiar with Norman Vincent Peale's publication Guidepost, but I read a book. I do know Power Guidepost. Huh? I have heard of Guidepost. Okay. I wrote for them their daily Guidepost for about seven years and some of their magazine. And uh, as a young adult, Norman Vincent Peale's The Power of Positive Thinking that was so impactful to me and and just to think of how our thoughts are so critical and so important into our development how we view the world and um so it was kind of interesting that i ended up writing for that publication but i've written a lot of stories early on this is really my fourth book coming out but early on i did two what you would call spiritual books earlier for mm. uh, a, a press you know a religious press and um so i just it's always kind of been part of how i express myself i think it's like oh if i could just write you a letter to tell you how i really feel instead of just having to give it to you like right here you know <laughs> I, Unlike I think you, that's Chris, very huh? nine yeah i yeah, no, I'm that a, does sound loud, very nine <laughs> So um, I'm a I'm a nine wing one. So once again, I I just can't help but uh, like draw the. Uh, so it, you started because your mother was a poet. Was was there a, a desire to connect with your mom over that? I think so. Yes, and I remember like a really good memory is it's a seventh grade um, assignment, and I, I even forget what the assignment was, but I remember I was having some difficulty. It was a writing assignment for English. And my mom sat down with me, which was kind of rare that she would have that uh, time or inclination, inclination. But she helped me weave this wonderful story about a magic carpet and seeing these lands. And, and I, it was just like, whoa, this is so great. <laughs> Pardon? Was it Arabian Nights? It was like Arabian Nights. Yes, it was. I mean, of course, that wasn't the story, but it was very much like being on the magic carpet and uh, in that arena. And I'm not yeah. sure what we did, but I did get a really high grade on that. 
<laughs> so I'm curious. Mom was very, and you were the oldest. So you grew up with her, did she? Uh, I'm sorry, you're cutting out just a little sorry. bit on this. Um, you grew up with a 15-year-old mom. Yes. Is that so? I, I, I was curious if one, first of all, that it, whether or not she raised you from the get-go, or did she have help, or what was your no. what was your childhood like? Uh, she was married at 14 and did not have to get married, believe it or not. She lied to my dad and told him that she was. I think she said she was 18. Um, but she divorced him when I was two. And um, then she had my sister, you know, that's only 14 months younger than I am. And then she lived with her mom for a while. And I did not find this out until I was an adult. I went back to see an aunt. And she goes, oh, she said, I just want you to know, I'm just, you know, I'm really sorry that I didn't adopt you when your mom asked me if I would. <laughs> and I'm kind of going, oh, oh, okay. I did. It's interesting new information. Yeah. New information. Yeah, it was like, uh, oh, okay. You know, when, when would that have been? But that's when she left my dad and... Uh, so that, you know, that was interesting. And she, then she, I went to live with a grandmother for a couple of years in there and she kept having a new husband and then she would have some more children. And then when we were, um, she died when I was 24. So I, did, mm -hmm. I didn't, oh, okay. get, yeah, I didn't get to know her as an adult to an adult, you know, as always a child to a mother relationship. And I often felt like, I was the mother. I was a little bit the, uh, what do they call it? The mother, the child alcoholic, where you're raising your your parents almost. Yeah, it's the Al-Anon stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's kind of what it was with her. And she, you know, when you look back and um, she had some really hard things happen to her as a child. And so that explains a lot of her dysfunction. I just wanted to, you know, try to stop the dysfunction being passed on. I, I I really identify. Yeah. Wow. My my mom certainly didn't have uh like I don't I'm an only child so she didn't she didn't have like multiple kids with multiple guys, yeah. but uh she you know she was undiagnosed borderline personality disorder yeah. growing up so you know it was it was a bit hellish in my house, yeah. Yeah. um and there were lots of like for lack of you know. If you ask me, pretty low class guys that were cycling through a lot. And uh, so I, I identify with a lot of that story. The only difference, and I and I wonder what impact this has on personality type. Uh, I was an only child and I didn't have any other siblings to take care of. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't feel any responsibility. I, I was in self-survival mode. Like yeah. I just got to make sure I can get out of this. You know, um, so I'm curious about your relationship with your siblings during that time. And, and by the way, this is not a gotcha podcast. If ever I'm getting too pressing or, you know, wave me off and we'll we'll edit it out and move on. You know, OK, now see that book up there. It's all in there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's what i mean black I, and white I, clear yeah, as crystal it's black and white i yeah. tell it all and then later i'm going oh wow <laughs> but i had my sister's permission 
and I have often told my sisters, I think they got me. Is it all sisters? All sisters. Wow. And How about that? Yeah, six of us live together. Um, and I have one sister by my father, and she is 18 years younger than I am. So she did not live with the six of us, kind of through all the chaos. She had a different life, but she's very much a part of our lives now. And she's, you know, there's been times when there's been seven sisters doing stuff. We had just opened our arms to her. But um, that's a good book title right there Seven Sisters. Seven Sisters. That's like the, what is it, the Pleiades or whatever that is. Right. It's, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I was very close with my sisters, and I do think they helped me get through my childhood because they needed me, and I very much got my self-worth from them needing me. I knew I was needed, um, and that was a great gift that they gave to me, and we are so close. I just sent two of my my babies um, that are now what. 62 and you know <laughs> 60 63 um home two days ago and we were together and generally all the sisters will meet we've lost one to pancreatic cancer mm. but we're such a a tight group and we were a family even though we didn't have much parental influence or support but the, the, you know, the six of us would, we would make dinner, we would sit down to dinner, even though we didn't have a parent there. And somehow, I mean, my mom told us we needed to do that, so we did. But anyway, I do think they helped me and probably turned me very much into what we're talking about here. Yeah, I identify with a lot of what you said as well. I didn't have, I mean, my, my family life looks a little different, um, but... My mom was a single mom. My, when I turned 13, my dad moved to Michigan. That That's a whole story. But I have three younger siblings that I was very much responsible for and trying to take care of because my mom was trying to work and, you know, make sure that we never lived without. And I, I totally hear where you're coming from. And if I didn't have my siblings, I don't know what I would have done in that scenario, mm -hmm. too. It's crazy how those relationships, even though I constantly felt like, I was constantly serving my siblings. Like I totally hear and identify with what you're saying with the, yeah, I felt needed. And so my self-worth was then boosted and I felt loved and cared for. And because of that, I love and respect my siblings too. It begs the question, like what you just said sounded very type two, uh, which brings me back to that kind of where we started, which is because because more than anything the thing that decides your type is that core motivation and what you just described the uh being needed having having people to take care of giving you purpose and meaning would you say that that stands out more than keeping the peace is keeping the peace a means of taking care of your sisters or is it you know inverse is it ever could you lean more one way as a younger and a little more as as more of an adult? I don't know, because I do vacillate. Certainly taking care of them was paramount um, when I was younger. And but keeping the peace was also. And that was kind of taking care of my mom, too, but keeping the peace and not liking conflict at all, which I still don't. I don't like when. You know, if the sisters are getting mad at each other, I, I just, they were disagreeing with something here as adults. 
And so I'm kind of feeling pulled this way, this way. And I don't know if you guys have seen this on the internet, but it's this little dog and it's owners, the two owners, they say, see how much your dog loves you. And they put the dog in the center and they both ran in different directions. And the dog looks this way and he looks this way and he looks this way, he looks this way. And then he starts running around in circles and barking because he doesn't know which way to go. <laughs> so that's like keeping the peace, you know? I, I I like to keep the peace. So I don't know. I mean, you know, again, maybe I flip over to that because for sure that was early on motivation, no doubt about that. And keeping the peace was important, but maybe it was in the service of taking care of them. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> the, the, I, I guess the question would come down to the core fears. That's where I think I'm more, more associated with the nine yeah. than, than the two. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you can definitely like taking care of others is a personality trait. It's, it's not necessarily a motivation. So you can be a nine that loves to care for and serve others. Um, I think the big difference is, and again, speaking as a type two, for me, if I don't feel needed, I feel rejected. And I, I just don't think, you know. And um, the, the fear of a two is this idea of being unworthy of love. Like if I don't do enough, I am not worthy of being loved and cared for the way I love and care for others. Okay. A nine is that um, conflict averse. They they truly have this idea that their their presence might not matter, um, and it's a fear of loss of connection because of conflict. Mm -hmm. I I think I more resonate with that nine. Yeah. yeah. The fear the the core fears seem to be actually a more effective way in to this mm -hmm. than even the motivation like starting with the motivation can be so much of this stuff is subconscious you well, know some of the, it operates in the background and but mm -hmm. most of us feel something tense up when we start to talk about the fear mm -hmm. well you can feel it in your bones you know yeah yeah <laughs> well uh, and this doesn't have anything to do with that. But like you, when you said what you're most afraid of, it was like, I have this irrational fear of a tidal wave. Isn't that crazy? No. <laughs> no. And you want to talk about irrational fears? You came to the right guy. We can talk all about irrational fears. Yeah, I have an irrational fear of being kidnapped. So really? there's that. Yeah. What's this about? What's your irrational fear? Um, I, I have a serious fear of like, um, serial killer in the house. Wow. Like we have cameras and motion detectors and because, and it, it's not, it doesn't invade my day to day life, yeah. but if I wake up in the middle of the night at like 3am, uh, and something about that middle of the night haze in between awake and asleep mm -hmm. the dream mm -hmm. world and the real world all of that i i will work myself up into a frenzy mm. about is there someone in the house that's completely it. irrational well and that's it 
and I feel mine in my body, like, and I live on the water, you know. <laughs> but well, I, nine, nine is a is nine a gut type. Nine is a no. Nine is a gut type. It, it, yeah. Um, okay. So yeah. in your body. So uh, one of the other. But I feel that it's just like. Yeah. Well, yeah. I th- and I. By the way, Courtney, I think we should start using that language, because that's uh, that's the language that um, Chestnut uses. Mm-hmm. And like, and I think it's more helpful because I've always had this. So one of the other facets of Enneagram is are you heart-centered, head-centered, or, and some people say gut-centered. And I've always had this hard time delineating between what's the difference between gut and heart. I don't, I don't understand that difference. And I recently heard somebody describe it as body-centered, and all of a sudden, my stuff started coming into focus. When I wake up in the middle of the night and start to have irrational fear, my heart, I can feel it on my chest. My heart is beating to the point where I, because we got a little, um, little finger heart monitor, breath monitor, mm-hmm. O2 thing for when when my wife and I got diagnosed with COVID many many or a year or so ago, and so I got that, and I keep it around. And there have been times when I I'm like I wake up and my heart is beating, and I put it on to be like, oh my, my heart must be racing, and I must be, you know, it's like O2 levels are fine, heart rates in the 60s. It's just pounding through my chest. Wow. And I can feel it's in my body. The anxiety is in my body. And I've also had all kinds of, you know, I have all kinds of back problems, but they have to do with muscular tension. Mm-hmm. Like it's not, it's not, it's not structural. It's not like I'm brittle bones or something like that. It's like, nope, my body tenses up. Yeah, whereas my anxiety is very heart. It's very like it's heart race. Like it's very da, 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 it's feeling oriented. Mm. So I think yeah. I think body is is a good way to describe it. And sorry, I got off on a tangent, but you were describing yeah, no, that's that's really your, helpful. Your body yeah, sensation. I just think it's body. Yeah, but to me, it's like I I feel it. It it you know my breath gets shallow. It's like. <laughs> it's like if I really absolutely did see a hundred foot wall of water coming towards me, I, I, I feel it. <laughs> yeah. The fear. I so. think there's something about, um, I knowing that about myself, I've now been able to diagnose my feelings more quickly and more accurately mm-hmm. by simply paying attention to my body. Mm-hmm. Like, Oh, I, Oh, I am. T- I am. I'm holding like even just laying in bed and like, or, you know, about to go to sleep and realizing that, Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm actually pr- using my muscles to prop a part of my body up a little bit. Mm. Like I'm, I'm ten, I'm subconsciously tensing something and I'll never, you can't go to sleep. Like, like, it's like, why am I not sleepy? Why am I not? I'm, I feel tired. Why am I not going to sleep? And then realizing as I scan my body, like, Oh, I'm cl- I'm literally clenching. Uh, yeah. Like there's something going on physically. It's it more and so and then I can you know di- diagnose like okay wh- why am I clenching? Like what am, am I afraid of something? Am I anxious? Am I angry about something? Am I you know whatever? And like and then finally I can like process what I need to process and like you know there's all kinds of little exercises like imagine writing it on a chalkboard and wiping it away or like. Yeah. Just, Put that that's not the job right now. The job right now is to rest, 
we'll put that on the first thing tomorrow list, you know, like those types right. of things really help me. But like, it doesn't, that's not what first occurs to me. What first occurs to me is my, my, I can't get comfortable. My legs don't mm. settle, you know, mm. my, that's I, interesting. yeah. And so I think the, the gut never made sense to me. The body has started making a lot more sense to me. Well, I'm just reading a book right now called Radical Wholeness, and it's talking about how much wisdom is in the body, you know, kind of the gut, the heart, and the head. And uh, I think sometimes we have a tendency in this society to value what's up here more than other kinds of knowing, and mm -hmm. I very much think being an intuitive as well as an introvert, my my knowing is most in my my uh, gut and my heart more so than up here so that's kind of neat where myers-briggs comes in you know to help with some of that too yeah i i'm so i'm extrovert but i'm i'm an intuitive i like i things make sense to me before they make sense to me yeah i vacillate between that um n and s i go back and forth between being an enfj and an esfj i'm like 51% ENFJ, 49% ESFJ, depending on the day and mood you catch me in. Yeah, I've, I've literally been in um, like business type meetings where I'm a team leader and, I, and we're talking about a specific issue. And I've had to say things along the lines of, I don't know why. You'll just have to trust me. I'm telling you this doesn't feel right. And and if we do it this way, it will feel bad. When, and I'm especially especially as a worship director, I'm literally responsible for crafting an hour of engagement that's mm. supposed to take people in a spiritual way from wherever they started, and that's an infinite number of possibilities wherever they walk in the door, into a connection with something that is deeper and invisible and grounded and also uniting and like it's a heart like when i really describe it and thought i was like man i don't know how we ever did it um and i would have to say i'm telling you if we do it that way it won't feel right i don't i, I can't say any more than that it just isn't gonna feel right <laughs> i understand that totally yeah i understand that and my husband, he's not of the, he's the opposite Myers Briggs. I am. He's going. How can you know that? I'm going. I don't know. I just know. <laughs> well, it's like you said. The answer is because there are other kinds of knowledge. Yeah, right. there are other kinds of knowing. That like are you know, the word "no" in English has kind of one meaning that could mean five different things. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and that's that's really what we're talking about. I don't know, but I do. I know it, but I don't yeah. know. I can't prove it. I don't have research to back it up, but I can, I know it, you know? Yeah. Well, what was the other thing you said? There were wings and then you said something else. Sometimes. Sometimes. Yeah. So you're with that at all. Yeah. So every person has three relationships in their life. So you have your relationship with your own self and your own health. Um, you have your more intimate connections so your one-to-one -one connections or your um like partner romantic connections and then you have your tribe or your social connections so your social network the people that you interact with on a daily basis we all have all three instincts but they stack 
And so the one that you prioritize the most is going to influence your personality a little bit. So for example, I'm a social too. Anyone who knows me is going to tell you that I'm a social instinct. I'm very concerned with my relationships with my coworkers, with my relationships with any person I come into contact with. I love my partner and I have a pretty good relationship with my own health now, but if it comes down to it, I'm going to prioritize my social life over the other two. Mm-hmm. So it was your, um, your social group, your tribe, your partner, and what was the other one? Self. Self, meaning giving time to yourself or? Like, yes, and also physical health um, is a big typical, like more like, called- like finances, physical health. Time for yourself. It's called a self-pres, as like self-preserving. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. some people are very natural and easy at. I'm going to make sure I'm taken care of first, and then I can take care of other people. I wish. Yeah, I, I'm kind of not like that. I think I'm the tribe. Social. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that might seem different for an introvert, but a lot of my social tribes are introverts. <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense. Well, it, I'll tell you what makes sense to me is you, you grew up with sisters. Oh, okay. That You're the oldest work. of a tribe of sisters. So yeah. the group That's... dynamic for in that peacekeeping mode yeah. is going to be very important. So it makes a lot of sense to me. And yeah, my tribe is usually women's group of one sort or another, you mm. know. So, so husband, when I'm thinking about he's he's number three, I guess. Because <laughs> I might even take care of myself more than than that. Yeah. Um, um so social nines, if you are a social nine, that is what we call a countertype. So because subtypes exist, we have what are called countertypes within the Enneagram, where they take on the motivation of one number, but can take on personality traits of another number. Okay, so often social nines might look like type threes or type sevens. They might take on some of those personality traits. So I'm going to read this. It comes from nine types. Yeah, it's the the traveling for sure. For sure. That FOMO don't want to miss out, want to see the world, want to explore. Totally could see that. So this comes from Nine Types Co. I'm going to say, I'm going to read this little blurb. um, And then if you just want to listen for anything that sticks out to you, anything that you balk at, anything you don't identify with. Um, So the focus of Social Nines is togetherness and belonging. They like to bring people together. They enjoy bringing people together and tend to be fairly active, especially in circles of familiarity. They want clear expectations before they join a project, and they don't want too many demands placed on them. Social nines are able to be physically involved in their lives while still maintaining mental and emotional detachment. Because they like to fit in, they may struggle to say no and can become scattered as they attempt to please everyone. I would say I go along with every one of those. And I would say, too, like that pleasing everyone, that like getting the group together, that that. um People pleasing, those are all very few personality traits. Mm-hmm. Which would make sense why you may have taken the test and then mistyped as a type two. So another fun fact about the Enneagram that I've mentioned before in this podcast, but haven't mentioned in this conversation. The test should only unlike Myers Briggs, or maybe it is like Myers Briggs, I don't know that much about it. Um 
The Enneagram test should only be looked at as a launching point. Okay, the test is actually only 50% accurate because when people take the test, they're taking it based on personality traits and there's not really a good way to measure motivation and fear in a test setting. So the most accurate way to get your Enneagram type is to go through the motivations and fears like we've done today. But if you don't know where to start, a great place to start is the test because it might give you an idea of some of those traits that you can then dive deeper into. Mm, that's that's good. That's good to know. Um, Chris, we can't hear you. Sorry. Okay. Uh, I muted myself so I could cough. Oh. Um, <laughs> In my experience, the only uh, the nine types co in particular, I so I've you know played around with the Enneagram for years before we actually started doing this podcast, and I was always kind of like meh, like I never could find it, it. Never really got me. It just it never really got me. It wasn't until finally. Uh, I couldn't identify my core motivation very well. Um, mm -hmm. But the core fear and then my social type started to line up. And then I finally found my like core motivation. And all of a sudden, when all three of those like came together, and then I read the description for that, it was like, oh, that, 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 like all like just 10 out of 10. You know, whereas before it felt more like a horoscope, you know, I would read a description of something that people thought I was or I maybe thought I was be like, no, I don't listen. I mean, like, yeah, maybe. I don't know. But everybody likes that. Everybody. Everybody's afraid of that. You know, it was those types of things. Chris and I have had many a fun discussion about this topic in particular. <laughs> well, it, it goes back to the I think I think the best way in is to start with the core fear. Mm -hmm. um, I, I because, agree. The core motivation is so easily subconscious. Um, mm -hmm. So as I, I'm a type one. I'm pretty sure now. Um, as a type one, a lot of the personality traits that they describe in a type one are, you know, the perfectionist and the getting it right and looking pristine and doing. And it's like I don't identify with any of that. That doesn't. And very self-critical and very self-judgmental. It's like no, nope, I don't get any of that. Mm -hmm. I'm a counter type. As an intimate type one, I actually am more outwardly critical. <laughs> I don't criticize myself nearly as much as I can spot what's wrong with what's going on. Hmm. You know, and you often so, look more like a four or an eight. And a lot of people have told me I'm a four. And then we considered, am I an eight? Because I seem to have kind of... Not with every eight, but everybody that I seem to have trouble with seemed to be an eight. Interesting. <laughs> you know, I was like, so maybe I'm an eight, you know, like that, you know, that old age old story, like you don't like in the You're other one. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so we entertained a lot of that and just none of it, none of it worked, none of it worked. And then finally, I think I've arrived. And, and as soon as we like settled on like, okay, if you're a type one and you're a sexual subtype, and you're, you know, uh, a wing two, then let's read that description. And it was like, bam, 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 bam. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. So there's something about, like, if it doesn't, I would say you know, it's, a, it's a sample size of one. So, you know, take this with a grain of salt. Uh, 
But I would say there's something about it for anybody who's listening. If you're having that frustration with the Enneagram, uh, then you haven't found, then you're off. You haven't found the, mm-hmm. the right type. You'll know right. it when you find it. It, it, it really will just click and you'll go like, oh, that that does resonate with me. That is how I am. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why we can't get hung up on behavior and personality when we look at the Enneagram. You, I think you're right. I think approaching it from that, especially the fear. I feel like people, including myself, like I'm very guilty of this. I often will talk about the motivation of the types, but I often forget to talk about the fear. And I think maybe that comes from a place of the fear as like, the fear is the thing that's going to make you go, ooh, I don't like that. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But yeah. I think that's easier to feel. Mm-hmm. I, I think yeah. that's why no, it's I'm effective. Like, if somebody describes the motivation of a type one to me, I'm like, meh, whatever. But if I say being the villain or being the bad guy. And th- those are phrases that I've literally said to my wife in times of trouble. I've said, like, I feel like I'm a bad guy. Like, why? I feel like I, like, and I don't want to be the villain. I want, and when I describe, so I'm a nerd. I have a very early love of Star Wars. And I talk about uh, the reason that that story matters so much to me is because it was, was, it's the earliest version of, like, I I want to be Luke Skywalker. I want to be the person who believes in hope and redemption and is willing to sacrifice himself to save us. Like, I want to be the good guy. I want to be the hero. And all of my obsession with with story is rooted in the hero's journey. And, like, it's all of that stuff. Yeah. Well, you're you're in a very good profession for that. (laughs) Well... You really are. Yeah. From your lips to God's ears, because sometimes it's a real pain in the ass. <laughs> <laughs> trying, uh, trying to change an institution from inside an institution okay. is a real nightmare it's, sometimes. It's rough sometimes. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. It's absolutely my calling, and, I, and I, I wouldn't trade this calling for anything else. It fits me perfectly, and I, I'm, I love it. And also... There are times when I, I, I mean, I'm bald and I, I don't think it has anything uh, to do with, you know, like my guitar playing. <laughs> I think it has to do with the nightmare of the institution sometimes. <laughs> oh, you two really are delightful. I, uh, you do this well. Thank you. Thank you, you so much. We've enjoyed um, having you on as a yeah, guest. Wonderful. Oh, uh, thank you. I we, really enjoyed it too. Well, good. Uh, we typically end with a cheers or a toast to something, or if you're in the mood against something, if you so choose. Uh, so you, uh, we always kind of each individually get to kind of celebrate or denounce something. Okay. Uh, and so I'm going to I'm going to celebrate uh, the process of kind of revelation, and I'm specifically thinking about the like the body talk language that we talked about and the um, coming to like self understanding through this kind of external thing, this external thing that can lead us internal. That that's, that's what I'll toast. That's fantastic. To cheers to embracing that core fear and truly leaning into it and the work and freedom that can come from allowing yourself to actually delve into that. That's great. And here's to cheers 
to uh, people who try to funnel hope and growth and belief and well-being into the world. And I see two of them right here in front of me. Oh, here, here. Thank you so much. Good night, everybody. Um, Once again, uh, links to Terry's work will be in the description. Please check her out. And uh, she's got some beautiful writing. Yeah. Thank you so much. (laughs) Good night, everybody. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.